Good morning, RCC family. And for those tuning in for the very first time, we are so happy that you're here with us. Feel free to leave a comment below letting us know where you're tuning in from, and then we can give you a proper welcome. So even though we are socially distanced, we really believe in being connected in our services. And there's a few ways that we do that. The first one, you can take a photo or a video with your family churching, tag us at River City ATL, or use our hashtag RCC Church Everywhere. Our second one is a newer one. So now we're gonna start to do virtual meet and greets. So if you wanna send your video, a 20 to 25 second video, something with you and your family saying hello, creative and fun, you'll send that to bill at rivercitysmyrna.com. Another way to be connected this week, we are going to do a communion directly after service. It'll be hosted by Jordan. You'll find a link either on the prayer wall or in the comments below. And then if you would like to continue to have prayer, we'll have that after the service as well. You'll call our prayer line and you can call them right now, leave a message, and then someone from our prayer team will connect with you after the service. Finally, our last announcement is a save the date. So May 3rd at 6 p.m., we're gonna do a Zoom call and it'll be a financial Q&A. So if you have any questions, this would be the perfect time for that. And you'll see more information coming up in the next few weeks. Last, our needs is still as important as ever. We know that many people have been affected and we just want you to know that we are here for you. And we know that it's very hard to ask for help, but we as the body have the privilege to be the hands and feet of God. And so in the same way that he wants to be there in your situation, we would love to provide support. So if you email us at needs at rivercitysmyrna.com, someone from our care team will be in touch with you shortly. Finally, one of the things you'll need for your service today is your service guide. So you probably should have gotten one in your email or if you go on our prayer wall or Facebook page, you can download your guide there. It's going to have all of the things you'll need for service. Very helpful. So go on and get that for yourself right now. And then lastly, we'll be doing our lectionary passage. So the lectionary is a passage that connects us with churches all over the world. We read through the same passage and it will connect us with the Bible in three years. And today's passage will be on page three in your guide or 116, starting from one to four and then jumping from 12 to 19. And it says, I love the Lord for he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me and the pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So Father God, we just invite your presence here today. We thank you for being a God that can sit with us in churches or in homes or in cars or wherever we choose to connect today. Lord, we pray that your spirit is with us, that you give us an ear to hear, and that you give us the message that we need to hear the most. We love you. We love to worship you, and you are so worthy of praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, River City. We are going to start Prayers of the People. I want to invite you to pray in your homes with me for the needs of our community. In Luke 24, which is our passage this week from the lectionary, it says this, as they came near to the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But the two men urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So this morning, God, we are praying you are extremely elusive in this passage, and you are our companion on the way. You walk behind us, beside us, beyond us, and you catch us unaware. So we're praying that you would break through our disillusionments and despair that cloud our vision, that with our eyes wide open, that we might stand in wonder, that we may have our eyes open to see you and journey on as messengers of your good news. So, we're God, we're praying for the universal church, 
for the members of your church and your mission. God, we thank you for bringing us together and that in many ways we feel even more connected to each other and to our families in this season. But yet, God, we pray that you would fill us with compassion and give us bravery and wisdom to practice hospitality to those around us and to our neighbors. God, we're praying um, as there's increased persecution and persecutors are taking advantage of the unrest all around the world. God, that you would bring comfort to those who are being persecuted. God, would you bring justice and forgive our persecutors for they don't know what they're doing. So God, despite our, our disillusionment, we ask that you would open our eyes to see you in this church. For our world and all those in it, for those sick with coronavirus around the world, we pray that you would bring healing. God, that you would quicken the process towards a vaccine and treatment plans. God, there is so much else going on in the world, things that we can't even give our attention to. The wildfires in Poland, the tsunami that's coming to Indonesia. We pray that you would come quickly, Jesus. We need you. God, for the World Food Program that was presented to the UN this week, that 300,000 people could die daily if we do not get adequate funding because of this pandemic. God, we pray for the UN that you would cause them to approve the monetary request and that there would be additional donors, God, to meet these needs all around our world. God, for all of our leaders from this country and beyond, God, we pray for them and ask that you would give them wisdom to do what is best for all. Despite our disillusionment, open our eyes to see you in the world. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, God, we're praying for the unemployed, those struggling financially, God, that you would open up new doors of opportunity, that we might trust you over any money that comes from our government. For Governor Kemp, who's opened up the state again, we pray for wisdom for business owners and individuals to not jump back in too quickly, that we might continue to do what is best for our vulnerable community. God, we mourn the loss today of Smyrna's officer Ewing as he passed away this past week on South Cobb Drive. God, we pray for his wife and his three children that he's left behind. And we thank you for his sacrifice for us. God, so many of us are living in confusion in uncertain times. We pray that you might bring us to these people and that you would give them bravery not to hide. Despite our disillusionment, open our eyes to see you in this city. For the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it, for anyone that's suffering from the virus in our church, God, we pray that you would bring healing to their bodies. God, for those that are isolated and lonely as we quarantine in our homes, may we be creative and intentional with our neighbors to seek them out that they might find hope and peace and rest. God, we thank you for all of our essential service workers that are making sacrifices every day. God, we thank you for the healthcare professionals in this church. God, that you would protect their health. Thank you for the health that you have provided those of us who are healthy, God, that our families would be well, God, that our community would feel the support of you through us, and that we acknowledge today that your spirit is with us. Despite our disillusionment, open our eyes to see you in one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, RCC family, hope you guys are having a great Sunday so far. Today we wanted to do something a little different and give you a quick update on the status of our finances as a church. And we knew as this started, as we got into May, that that would be when we start to see and feel the effects like many of you are. And we know that many of you are feeling the effects of this. A lot of people are. And so this is just to start a quick reminder that we actually have created a bucket of money to help people in need. And we haven't really had many people reaching out to us. And so if that's a boat that you are now in and you need help, we would love it if you would reach out to us and talk to us about it. Aside from that, we wanted to give you kind of a big picture overall feel for what's happening with the finances by giving some transparency on where RCC is right now and also expressing the role of the people in the body of Christ at RCC. 
quick snapshot at RCC is that each month we typically receive around $39,000 and spend about that amount. We live right at about that means each month. We also have a school up until two months ago that was paying for rent to use the space. That's been affected, of course, because nobody has students in, and that school is not receiving money right now. And then lastly, we have the table downstairs in this building, which in January actually started to produce a positive income. Really a great trajectory. So overall now, a lot of those things aren't happening. One, we're not allowed to use the space downstairs for rental, and we don't know how long that'll last. Two, the school will not be back in for the foreseeable future, and three, Two months ago, our giving as a church was down 20%, and then last month it was down over 25%. And just hearing those numbers, you can probably do the math in your head, that kind of impact long-term would have a pretty large effect on the way that we did things. It would have an effect on what we were able to do monthly. It would have an effect on staffing. It would have an effect on what we're able to pour into. And so we wanted to remind you of a couple things. One, you're not hearing this talk because we're all afraid. We're not afraid. We trust God. But you are hearing this talk because we believed that we are a blessed church. Everything that I just mentioned, including the spaces, the school, the physical space that we have that we can't use now, all came to us through prayer and through are seeking God. They were different opportunities and different seasons for us to say yes to the invitations of the guidance of God. And we did that. And we still believe that's the truth. And we believe that even going into the future, God is helping us to remain in a space where we can dream and not just figure out how to stay afloat. That's not our space we're in right now. But the reality is, if our people, including you, are generous, are bought in, and are helping share the load, then whatever happens we will be okay with because we know God is in it and leading us, whether that's a season of lack or a season of plenty. On the opposite end of that, if our people are not generous, are not bought in, and are not giving, then that's not the activity of God. That would not be us being faithful with what we've been given and handling our responsibilities as a body well. So that's the scenario we don't want to be in. We don't want to be in a spot where we're having to see the effects of people's lack of trust in God, and we have to make decisions built around that. Again, we're not in in fear. If we had a million dollars in the bank, we would still need to be having these conversations because it's about us trusting God and not ourselves, and that's especially hard in seasons like this to trust that God has our finances under control, and not only that, but everything under control, and that we need to lean into him. So take-homes for today. What, What are we asking you to do? We believe this season is a season of generosity for the body of Christ. That's how we're posturing ourselves as a community. We're asking for the opportunities for us to be generous, and then we're responding to it. We're already doing a lot of that right now. We want to continue to do that. We don't want us to not be able to do that going forward because of the season we're in. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this, if you're just kind of surfing through the web and you happened upon this random YouTube video, we're not asking you to give money to our church. We would hope that you would experience the love of Jesus in this conversation, but we're not asking you to give right now. Practically speaking, set up giving on a monthly basis. Show your bought in by being faithful monthly. That would be very helpful to our body right now as we move into the future. It would show us and it would help us to see that our body is taking ownership of all of these needs. Number two, this could actually be number one, but we'll say number two. Pray about being generous and listen and obey as you pray. Ask God, what are you asking me to do with my money? What is it that you are asking me to give to? Number three, on May 3rd, we're going to have a Zoom call for you to ask any questions you have and for us to share where we feel like we're headed with our giving, with our future, and with what we're receiving right now. That'll be at 6 p.m., and Jonathan Godby will lead that. Jonathan Godby is actually our treasurer at the church, and he has extended himself in this season to answer any questions that you guys have. If you'll be looking in the link coming up this Sunday, or this Thursday, then you can email him and ask any questions. He would call you. He would do anything like that. But lastly, let's continue to pray and believe that God has positioned us in this city for what God wants to do in this city, right? It's not about hoarding what we have. It's about asking God, how are you asking us as a church to be generous and for us as a church to be able to respond in faithfulness? So as we go into offering today, be in prayer about how to posture your finances, your family, your giving, Be invitive for the Holy Spirit to lead you in that and respond with obedience. And we can all get through this together for sure. Again, reach out if you are in dire need right now. Welcome back. So we're going to continue this week 
with some of the stories of how Jesus interacts with disciples and the world after resurrection happens. Really the time in between Easter and Pentecost, those 50 days, are a time of kind of celebrating and digesting and continuing to recognize that Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive. And it's also a time for the disciples specifically here where people start to gain a knowledge of what the scriptures actually meant. Their minds start to be opened to understanding things that they had not been able to understand for even centuries before this. And as Jesus enters these conversations with them, he begins to help them through his lens understand rightly what was intended by the text from the prophets or by the Pentateuch or by anything written prior. He's bringing light to it and showing this is what this meant. And so being able to see clearly is, is huge. Seeing deeper than just sight into your heart, knowing the things, the reasons why and what helps the motivations in our lives so much. But for most of us, Getting to those spots can be very, very difficult. In fact, most of the times we struggle in our lives are when we don't know why things are happening or we can't see what is happening. That confusing space is unsettling. I think actually the word unsettled is, is a word for me this season that seems to really name where we're at. And not just metaphorically or inwardly, but as I look at my life as a father and a husband and a pastor, there doesn't seem to be a space to just sit and kind of collect myself and then move forward. It's almost like daily there's a new thing added which doesn't really allow you to feel settled. It really reminds me, again, and I've spoken about this a couple times, of the Israelites being led out of Egypt towards the promised land and that space between, right? Of course, we want to be taken out of these previous bondages and these previous prisons that we were in. But as they start to travel into the desert, the wilderness, they start to remember the things that they despised previously as at least providing some sort of shelter and safety and continuity. And so you begin to hear the Israelites grumble to God about this new space they're in, even though they know we're on our way to this promised land. So they face some difficult struggles on their way. They face giants, they face actual enemies, but the most prominent enemy they face by far is themselves. What they begin to say in their hearts towards God, towards community, really affects what they're able to do. Some people couldn't even enter. Most people couldn't even enter the promised land because of how they handled the space between slavery and the promised land. And so for us, as we are in our unsettled season of school and church, and even hearing the news this last week about what could reopen didn't really satisfy any of our unsettledness. And in a lot of ways, it almost made it more unsettling. I've heard only more questions from it without any real pathway towards what can happen. And so this unsettling place can feel like a place where we just want to medicate ourselves and disappear. But it's an important space. It's an important space to lean into God to notice the things that are coming at us. And it reminds me of how this year has been a year of prayer for our body. And, and I guess my prayer for today as we travel into this text from Luke is that we would be a body that in a season where we don't know what's coming next, next we would learn how to listen. And so all of the month of May, we're going to be doing listening prayers of focus. But for you and your family, if you could hear from the Lord right now in an unprecedented season for your family, for your work, for your heart posture, for the new places he's trying to lead you into, it would mean more than even having certainty about what's happening in October or in November or 2021. So as I open up the text to Luke 24, 13 through 35, I'm asking you to go on a journey with me and not to just continue to look for the things that feel safe, just to return. 
but to step into that journey, right? All through scripture, the walk with God is considered a journey. The Israelites, the disciples, in Acts, all of the New Testament books, even into Revelation, it's a journey with God. And we don't know necessarily the dangers, and we don't know the excitements, and we don't know the hard places that he'll have to show up. But I'd rather be on the journey with God than in the safety of a prison any day. And so as we move into this text, I'm asking that you have a posture in your heart to be invited by him on this journey. And so Luke 24, 13 through 35, it says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near to them and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, stopped, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened there in these days. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had, never, they had even seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted if he were, as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked? To us on this road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose from that same hour and returned back to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. Then they told what they had what had happened to them on the road, and now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray together. Father, as we talked about last week, we pray that this word would richly dwell within us. That this word would become as if it was alive within us. That these interactions would not just be the story of these two people on a road, but the stories of our lives and where you meet with us. We thank you today that we get to break bread together. We thank you that we get to talk about the scriptures together. We thank you that your spirit is present here and in our living rooms even now, always knocking, always comforting, always leading, sometimes convicting, drawing us into healing. We thank you, Jesus, that you're present today. Be present with us. In your name we pray. Amen. And so there's going to be a couple images that come up on the screen. If you want to go ahead and pull this first one up. This one is of, it's kind of a, a picture of them walking on the road. I'm going to leave this up so you guys can interact with it for a little while. But this whole scene starts very dramatically with these two 
people leaving Jerusalem and having a conversation about what had happened, talking about what they had hoped for, we can relate to these kinds of conversations. These are the kind of conversations we have with people who return from the doctor's office and have just received bad news. These are the kinds of conversations we have with people who are having an awful situation happen in their marriage or their family. These are the kinds of conversation we're having with people when they lose a job or a loved one. These are the kind of conversations that we're all going to face in our life where what we had hoped for didn't happen. And for them specifically, the Jesus that they had known, the one that would be Messiah, that would come and be their savior is now not that. We can relate, right? We can even relate now. And a stranger appears to them. A stranger appears to these two on the road and they begin to talk with the stranger about Jesus, the stranger is Jesus. They begin to talk and he specifically shows up and asks them a few questions. What have you been talking about? They're kept from seeing who he is. It's interesting in scripture when people don't know that Jesus is the one, but this passage specifically says that these people are kept from seeing him. Why would they be kept from seeing him? He could have shown up right here and just said what needed to be said, right? The, the, just, the, just the words of this could have already showed, listen, you guys are walking. I can tell that you're upset, you're distraught, right? Your Jesus that you were following is not there. Actually, curveball, I'm Jesus. It's me. I'm actually here. So why didn't he just do that? He takes time to stop with them and he has them retell him what happened in their version of the story. When someone's able to tell the story that they experienced, healing can happen. When someone's able to listen to that story, even if it's not 100% accurate, Jesus is present. That's actually, that, I know that's a stretch. That's a broad stroke with this passage. This is Jesus present with someone, telling a version of the story that's incomplete, but listening fully and even asking more questions. What are you talking about? And them then, them interacting with Jesus kind of candidly about, are you the only person who's not heard that Jesus of, they're talking to Jesus. They're talking to Jesus about Jesus not being Jesus. And the Jesus that they had hoped for is literally walking with them. And he's topping the whole scene to have them reach back into their past to go through what happened so that he can allow that to begin the healing. Something about this story provides for them the ability to hear what's next. And what's next is one of my favorite things that happens in Scripture. And I think all of Scripture points to moments like these, where Jesus, if he, are not, if he is not included, it's impossible to understand the text. The Old Testament alone, without Jesus, it's, it's not something that, it's incomplete. Even that portion of the text is pointing us to Jesus. And so just for a moment, Jesus spends time. And Jesus listens, and I have a quote to, for you. I just want to read to you. And Jesus listens. He hears them out, allowing the balm of articulation. And then when they're done, let me just start over with that. And Jesus listens. He hears them out, allowing them the balm of articulation. That makes more sense. And then when they're done, he tells them the story back to them. And as he does so, the story changes. In his retelling, it becomes what it really was meant to be after he lets them share. Something far bigger, deeper, older, wiser, and richer than the travelers on the road to Emmaus ever understood. Here's what you're leaving out, Jesus says to them. Here's what you're missing about this story, Jesus says to them. When Jesus tells the story, he restores both its context and its glory. He grounds the story in memory, in tradition, in history, and the scriptures. He helps the travelers comprehend their place in the narrative that long preceded them. A narrative big enough to hold their disappointment without being defeated by it. When Jesus tells the story, the death of the Messiah finds its place in a sweeping cosmic arc of redemption. Hope 
and divine love that span the centuries. When Jesus tells the story, the hearts of the listeners burn within them. For this writer, the experience of Emmaus Road always involves a narrowing of her story. Her lens becomes very small, even myoptic. I lose all sense of the big picture. I lose all ability to place my life in the broader, more expansive context of God, all, God's all-encompassing story, when the lens of what we have is our own without the lens of Jesus helping us to see what's truly happening. It's the roads that ended, the places of hurt, the places of disappointment and not getting what we wanted. Those are the very places that through the lens of Jesus, he helps us to see the broader narrative, the narrative where we're not the key players in the story. This has been happening long before we've been here and it'll be happening long before we're gone. And the world will be going on long after COVID-19 has, has vanished. The kingdom of God will still be moving. Jesus will still be moving. He will still be present. But this interaction for them, it literally stops them in their tracks. It's as if for me, this, this is one of those moments where, of course, it's God with them. So it's holy ground. But I'm going to read you another. It's going to be a day of quotes. It's a good day. And this quote is from Cynthia Jarvis. We'll give you the, the author of that previous quote in the comments. We can do that for you in a little bit. Then as the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed, another character falls into step with them and asks what they were discussing with each other while they were walking along. This question stops them in their tracks. They stood still, Luke says, suggesting that when God enters a conversation, we think we are having with just another person. When our horizontal perspective on human condition is assumed from above and crossed by the vertical perspective of God's word, we cannot find but ourselves lost standing still. We have surely come to a crossroad. At, issues, at issue are not the miles before us, but the moment at hand and the eternity that has just invaded time. Goes on to say, God's word is interrupting the church's life. This is closely hitting home to us in the body of Christ. God's word is interrupting the church's life and idle conversations and effectively calling a halt to our frantic forward movement. We are, where are we going when the question of a stranger prompted us to confess that we had lost our way? What was it about the one who listened that turned the details of despair into beseeching? This interaction for them helped them to tell their story, helped them to see the story through the lens of Jesus, and it stopped them in their spot. And I won't even talk about this, but the third thing that Jesus says to them would actually be pretty it would probably start arguments in our day. But for some reason, it doesn't do that for them. And this interaction for them, Jesus starts to walk away. So in this next passage, he's just like, and this is what I love about Jesus and the way that he approaches us. He doesn't demand that we do the things that he knows what's best. He gives us a free will, especially in situations of receiving him, in such a way that our story's drawn into it. We understand where he's coming from, even if we still don't see him clearly, the true Jesus. He draws us into this and then he moves forward. And yes, I think the whole purpose of this was for them to finally invite him to be with them. Yes, please, I know you wanna move ahead, but please come to our home, eat with us, come and dine with us. And Jesus does that. As he walks away, they stop him. Just think about though, if this would have happened where, if Jesus would have just kept walking, if they would have been like, man, that was a really meaningful moving conversation on a road when we were just by ourselves and a stranger walks up and there's not like a lot of civilization around. So that was kind of unique. So we should probably make note of it. Let's journal about our experience. That might've been a prophet. That was pretty powerful. He said things that touched us and even warmed us deeply, but at least we have that now. If we don't have our Jesus, the one that resurrected and gave us new life, at least we have this stranger that we can remember because this was a hard day, right? This day, the day when things ended, the day when our hopes ended, at least this person visited us. That as the end is not enough. 
That as the end continues them doing what they were about to do, which is figure out how to live life with the hopes of a savior now, a distant past memory, and not something they can live into, not something to embody, and not something to take to the world. They would have just figured out how to be alive as humans with a neat experience on the heels of a awful experience. But that's not what happens. They're spurred and curious and invitive to Jesus. And they ask Jesus, listen, come, come into our home. And then in the next scene, which I do believe is meaningful for us today, especially with how we're able to respond to one another. In the next scene, Jesus sits with them and he takes the posture of the one leading the meal. He's leading at this point. And you can pull up this next picture. This will be one you can kind of chew on until, until we're finished. Jesus breaks the bread. He does this with them, right? He sits down, this famous passage, and he, in, in such a small and simple thing, right? Like, when we talk about what, what we want God to do at Easter, we still do it. Like, it's not just the history. We still talk about, let's do like a massive egg drop. Let's, let's like rent like a hundred helicopters and let's like drop a bunch of eggs all over Georgia, right? No, 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 I got it. Let's rent a stadium. Let's rent a stadium and let's fill it with people. No, 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 no. Let's spend $42,000 on our promotional budget this year to get people here for this day. Jesus silently walks up, doesn't even say who he is, interacts with people until he's invited it's not big enough for us. The way that Jesus does resurrection is not big enough for us. But the way that he does it begins to permeate all of life. And so I do believe it's pointing us to Acts 2, 42 through 44. And I wanna just read this to you because I think this is something that's hinted at that, and you can pull this up for us. Acts 2, 42 through 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This would be, this, these common situations, right? These just gathering together. And then in those common, the signs and wonders that happened through those common things, it's interesting that almost immediately after Jesus breaks the bread, they reach for the bread, they finally see. But they don't see with their eyes. They see at a much deeper level. They're now at the why and what. Oh my goodness. This is the, oh my goodness. The guy that was talking to us on the road, everything starts to draw together. And the way that he interacted with them was important. Every move, every movement of it was like a poem. Everything mattered. Everything he said, the way he approached them, the way he didn't reveal his identity too soon, the way he didn't brag about what he did. He didn't walk in and was like, you guys see what I did back there? I'm like killing it right now in, in Jerusalem. They don't even know it yet. He didn't do that. He showed up and subtly enters their conversation, letting them still have a voice and then infusing with what they already had, who he was, to the point where then they wanted him. They offer hospitality to the Savior. Please come, right? It's already working. Please come. And they sit at a table, they break the bread, they see. And in one of my favorite statements in all of Scripture, because I have moments of remembering, even recently, the warming of my heart in a much realer way than just, oh, that's neat, but the kind of warming of the heart that permeates beyond, right, way beyond. Did I see that rightly? Right, and somebody asked me this week, you keep talking about this show, The Chosen, and how it's deeply impacted you, but you never tell us what happened. And I was like, really? I guess I didn't. And I'll tell you what the story was. It was the experience of the woman at the well in the last episode, because that passage for me has always been one of my favorite passages of scripture. Not just because Jesus says the famous, we will worship in spirit and truth, which I think, I do think is a truth to that, but there's a deeper thing happening. It's not just about that. Worshiping in spirit and in truth, it won't just be on this mountain or on this mountain, but there will be unity. But the deeper thing happening is there is a person who is hiding her life from every human, who in this interaction knows she is seen. I see you. You were broken. 
you were hurting, you were in shame. She knew in her interaction with Jesus, I see you. And what happens in her heart warms her to the point of sending her into Samaria, becoming at this point the largest soul winner for Jesus in that in that city. Her heart was warmed. Our hearts are warmed when Jesus is present with us. So right after this, and I, I might be going long. If I am, forgive me. You really can't do anything about it. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, right after this, Jesus vanishes. And it's another peculiar move. Just like he enters, like, why would you enter? And then why would you vanish? And really, the idea of him vanishing is it had to happen, one, but if Jesus is present in person, then everyone will think they need to be right next to his physical, his physical being to be present with him. So how can he broaden this scope of his permeation on earth and the bridge to the Holy Spirit here and the bridge to the commonness of a meal, even the breaking of bread, where he is present? So, so did he vanish? Is he truly gone? Or is he actually here more fully? I believe it's, he's here more fully even now for us. I believe now he's more fully here than he was in this scene, in all of our interactions with him. So when is he present with us? He's among us when we invite him. He's among us when we show hospitality to a stranger. He's among us when Someone in need near us is no longer in need because we saw the need and we stepped in and didn't brag about it. He's among us when we gather around the text. He's among us when we're with one another. He's among us even now. He's here. He's among us when we sip the cup of wine or juice for some of us. He's among us when we break the bread He's among us when we simply have a meal. He's among us when we're willing to go to places to tell people about how he's among us. He's among us more than he was then. He's present here and there. He's waiting to be invited because he's not going to take that right from you. He purposefully walked on ahead so that they could say, no, 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 no. Come into my home. He wants to be in our homes. He wants to be in our stories. He wants to weave all this together to give meaning that's well earlier and well beyond any scope of life that we have here on earth. He wants to invite us into this bigger narrative that will be a journey of craziness and our own inner demon surfacing and possibilities we never thought and seeing loaves multiplied and seeing Jesus present in common places. He's among us. And they recall as he leaves, weren't our heart, that's so peculiar to me. They're just talking and they're like, weren't weren't our hearts burning? Weren't they burning among us? Weren't, they were strangely sparked and life came like it hadn't been before. It was a new place for them. And they went immediately at night on a seven mile run back to Jerusalem, the place that just proved to be the place that took away their savior that they were trying to leave earlier that day. So it's a 14 mile day all the way there meeting Jesus on the way out. And then all the way back sent by Jesus who vanished but surely hoping to tell the story. And when they get back to Jerusalem, they hear that he's actually been talking to others. Jesus has been talking to others. Oh my gosh, it's not only real to us, it's real to others. What happens when that reality is in the midst of us? What happens when we all believe this? What can happen? And then you see the New Testament church born out of this. You see the community in Acts. You see the sermons and the selflessness. You see the people willing to die. We actually read a psalm today that had a phrase in it that should have made you go, wait, what did that say? Go back and read it in your service guide. What does that even mean? The Christians were so warmed in heart that present physical realities didn't compare. The woman at the well left her food there, ran back. 
these guys left this meal and went back to Jerusalem at night. That's got to be dangerous. So, how am I going to draw this to a close today? I just want to ask you to choose today. Are you looking forward to going back to a safe, structured prison? A safe, structured, comfortable life that keeps you settled but never truly alive? Or are you willing to be invited and invite onto a journey towards a promised land or the fullness of the gospel or wherever that might take you because you don't know. You don't know exactly where it's taking you. We get in the most trouble when we think we know where we're going or when we think we know what Jesus will do. Every one of these guys thinks they know what happened to Jesus. They don't. I was actually talking to someone probably listening to this last week about the response of the churches immediately following this crisis. And our first reaction was, we know what to do. Let's gather all the food we can. And this is just what happens. They do all this work, they gather all this food, and for a lot of churches, they have nowhere to, to put it. And the person I was talking to was like, all you had to do was ask, what's actually needed? Did you listen long enough to say, is my idea of what I think needed the actual thing that's needed right now? Maybe food's needed in a month, but a lot of that food went to waste. We think we know more about Jesus than he's even letting us see. And for some of us, it's being kept from us in ways because he's drawing the deeper parts of us into the story before he reveals, oh, you didn't know this, but that was me, that was me, that was me. I was actually coming back to life right there. I wasn't dying. I was, this was part of the whole plan. I'm actually showing you this in the text to show you suffering was not a blip in the radar. That was the pathway to this new life, right? This is the Jesus that we fall in love with, go after, and then walk on the journey with. And so, I'm going to read you one more quote. All right? It's going to be a quick one. Super quick quote. It has been suggested, so what, what can you do while you don't know what to do? It's been suggested that hospitality is the key to evangelism in our day. So this text offers a window to spiritual practice in postmodernity. Actions more than words, welcome more than self-promotion and protection, provides the space where others might fearlessly enter and find themselves at home. Sharing the common meal transgresses boundaries and allows communion with Christ. Who meets us whenever we gather at the Lord's table or at the tables that provide self-giving welcome? Jesus meets us there. And so today, we're going to do something very different um, after I tell you two quick, a couple quick stories. I'm still going to do it because I don't know where we are. Uh, about, um, I had two stories I really wanted to tell, and I'm going to forget them right now, but I'm, I'm just going to stay with it until I remember them because I feel like they're that important. And I'll give you one. So about seven years ago, we were in youth ministry and coming to a wall because I could not personally figure out why it was not working. To me, it felt like one of the largest failures of my life because something I'd given so many years to seemed to be hard to be motivated for. I don't seem to be seeing the fruit. It felt like it was telling me that I was doing a bad job and shame-inducing. And so it felt very much like what I had hoped for is not going to happen and I'm doing everything that I possibly can. In that season we were able to step back at a dead end and because of the dead end and the painful spot and the inner turmoil, River City Church was birthed. Out of that dead space of feeling like a failure and wondering why I wasn't motivated, God was all along bringing life to something that he was leading us into. It took a dead end to see it. Next story. 2020, the year the COVID crisis happened. That year started, River City Church had pots, prayers of the season. I was feeling super confident. I, I, for the first time in maybe two years, I felt like I was leading us into something so exciting. I was pumped. 
There was space opening up. Um, I could see the fruit of the ministries here. All of a sudden, without notice, on a vacation, this crisis hits. We're now in the middle of it. I don't know how the redemption happens through this for any of us. I cannot tell you the specific thing that God is going to do. But what I can tell you is that God will do something. And we'll all in 10 years be saying, do you remember when COVID happened and all of that craziness? Do you, can you, do you remember what God did through that? What was birthed out of that? What creativities came? What, what people were called into the heart of God? Who began to put on the life of God? Do you remember when my family member who was kind of never gonna be interested in the way that church was, finally came to life. Do you remember when the church stopped trying to build, build, and build, and started to send their people out? Because we had no, uh, there's nothing else to do. We can't gather people together. So we had to shift our focus to those out there. Do you remember that season where God brought life back to something that was possibly dying, even though it looked like it was growing? That's the story of this season. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know how we've been interacting with him. We don't know exactly what he's up to, but he still is Jesus. He's still moving and we can still 100% trust in him. That means if we have lack that comes or surplus that comes, he's the God who gives and takes away, but he is good, he is working and he has not forgotten us. This is the story, right? This is the ones our kids will remember. We're in it right now. Will we be those that listen? Will we be those that say, I want to know what you want us to do? Will we be those that stop doing what we think's best? Will we shift from our previous slaveries? Please, God, don't let any of us run back into bondage that was keeping us. Please, God, don't let us run back into the safety of financial comfort, to the safety of a good job that keeps us settled, never having to ask any real questions about why is my heart dying while my bank account is growing? Why am I not alive when I know I'm being invited by Jesus? Why can I not remember what it was like to be close to Jesus? Let this be the season where that changes, where there's a warmth that happens. So I'm gonna pray for you, and then I'm gonna explain some things. But in your living room right now, I'm asking that God would warm your heart. And I'm not confining that to just a metaphor. If he can physically warm your heart, dear Jesus, I don't get to tell you what box to be in. I pray that Jesus and the Spirit of God would be so invited into your home that you would be warmed. You moms, you husbands, all the single people, all the sons, all the daughters, all the grandmothers, grandfathers, all those whose names are known by your Father, that his presence would be with you right now, warming you, reminding you, and drawing you. All of this was purposed. All of this can be beautiful. Lean into me. In Jesus' name, we thank you that you are with us. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.